this is your welcoming ceremony into the best worst club. It's the club that none of us want to be a part of, with the best kind of people. We are the one in ten, doing our very best at living with endometriosis. Think of this podcast as your space to be understood, uplifted, and plugged into the thriving endo community. This disease is a beast to live with. It's one that crosses into taboo territory, and the road to management is peppered with obstacles. Tune in weekly to be equipped with research-based information and tangible tools to navigate the medical system as a fierce self-advocate. To be moved by other warriors' raw and real stories while contributing to spreading awareness of our realities and to glean helpful life hacks and coping skills from perspectives of people who truly get it. I'm your host and fellow Indo warrior, Mariah Battaglia, better known as the Indo doula on IG. And while I hate that you're part of the club, I hope you'll stay. Make sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of the latest episodes and upcoming guests. The following episode may contain topics or experiences that could be triggering to some and are of mature nature. Talk of depression, medical trauma, disordered eating, and other sensitive issues may be talked about. Please listen at your own discretion and remember that this podcast is never meant to be taken as medical advice. Please consult your doctor or therapist about any medical or mental health questions you have. Tune in next week as we start our first series called It's Not Just a Bad Period. The series came together as a direct result of our community on Instagram. When I first put out the call to interview Indo Warriors, I was honestly surprised at the response. Admittedly, the idea for this series wasn't the beginning. In fact, it wasn't until a few interviews in that I realized I am simply orchestrating something our community has been working on for years. I created the space, and you, you stepped in it to fill it with your powerfully heartbreaking and needing to be heard realities of living with endometriosis. It's what the online community has been doing, raising awareness of this common disease most have never heard of, and calling out the systemic injustices we face. The stories in It's Not Just a Bad Period series are difficult to listen to, And I want to keep it that way, because they aren't just stories, but the harrowing realities of each warrior that is bravely taking part in this series. Make sure you are subscribed to the Best Worst Club podcast so you don't miss new episodes airing every Friday. Okay, yeah, because you edit, right? Yes, yes. Okay, all right. Um, so my name is Sarah. I live in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I have an amazing husband, um, a very sassy four-year-old, a very loud pug, a Velcro dog, um, a very giant kitten and a a horse that loves me very much. Um, I am an LCSW, which is licensed clinical social worker. Um, I'm a outpatient therapist working with Um, those in the perinatal population. So most of who I'm working with are mamas that are either pregnant or early postpartum, sometimes later in the postpartum journey, because you're always postpartum once you've had one. Um, And then sometimes I'm doing a lot of work preparing for pregnancy or um, processing grief and loss and some fertility issues. That is so awesome. I didn't realize that that was like your specialty. And it makes me even more excited for our conversation. Yeah, I realized that I was like, I, every now and then I send Mariah messages and like, these are really good messages from a therapist perspective, but I also don't know that she knows what I do for a living. <laughs> yeah, that's so amazing. So, okay. I would love to know, how did you get into that? And is that any, yeah. like, is there any relation to your endo journey with that? Yes. And no. So, okay. um, I can kind of give like a, 
an overview of it and then of that question and kind of how it connects back in. Um, so not directly related, but um, I went, we, a couple years ago, um, I guess it would have been five years ago, like this month, um, we decided we wanted to have a baby. And um, I, my, my journey had been ridiculous. We never knew what it was or what was going on in my body. Um, but I had an IUD at the time and got that taken out and we got pregnant within two months. So we were absolutely lucky. I have no idea how and why it happened that fast. I know that that is not the typical, um, and pregnancy. Um, I'm not trying to brag or toot my own horn. Pregnancy was the best time in my life, which actually looking back is an indicator that I had some major hormonal stuff going on. Um, I loved being pregnant. My body never felt better when it was pregnant. And I know that's not everybody's experience. Um, and then, but we always knew I had lots of hormonal stuff. I had lots of mood stuff. Um, I had lots of pain stuff. Um, and it was just quiet for that eight or nine months. Um, and then I had my daughter and I thought everything was great. I wasn't in therapy, even as a therapist, I went back to work way too early. I went back to work at four weeks, even though it was part-time, um, it was working in a residential, um, facility for youth. So, um, very, very intense work with, um, some tough, um, like upper management stuff going on. Um, and, I thought it was great. My biggest challenge was breastfeeding and it did not work. We switched to formula. It saved, saved our relationship. It saved our kid. It, it was amazing for us. It was the right choice. Um, and I think my family says they started seeing postpartum really popping in about four to six weeks, which makes sense. I went back to a crappy job. Um, and that Sophie was born in goodness, June. So I was back to work in mid-July and around August, September, my husband started saying like, you know, let's, let's look at a therapist. And I said, absolutely not. I have a lot of therapist trauma, even as a therapist. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to do this. And he was, I'm fine. I'm so happy. And he was like, Whoa! and so I don't know how it happened, but they got me into a therapist in October, um, who is amazing. And we worked through a lot of stuff. Like there's been a lot of stuff. And as I got out of that fourth trimester, um, as I, you know, continued to have stuff come up, you know, things like my back pain returned and I had ovulation pain and I was like, it was, my mood was just a bother kind of thing. Um, and so it wasn't directly related, but, um, it absolutely is now that I look at the story. Um, I realized when I started feeling better, I looked at my therapist and I said, I want to do this. Like I, I, I am the person I want to help the like, people like me. And she's like, well, there's enough room in the lane for everybody. Come on, on, come on. And, um, so I did, I did a lot professionally to like start training. I'm a perinatal mental health, um, certified therapist, um, which was an extra level of certification. Um, and then I also opened my own practice and through all that, I was like, well, this really stinks. Something's not right in my body. We had what we thought was pre-pregnancy. We thought was an injury in my lower back. Um, and then around the time I started mental health therapy, I also started pelvic floor therapy and they were like, well, we've got a large problem here. And for a, almost a year, I saw a pelvic floor therapist twice a week. It was very intense for some pelvic floor dysfunction. Took a break from that. And then the stuff started happening more and more. Um, yeah. So this was really long-winded and I apologize. No, um, but yeah. So, you know, looped in mental health. I've looped in pelvic floor therapy. And I, what I had pre-pregnancy was normal for me. So pain, um, light bleeding, lots of pain, um, but not shutting me down. I'm not, I'm not a person that is easily shut down, um, but very uncomfortable and lots of mental health stuff. Um, and so by the time I was in, you know, therapy, feeling better mentally and more competent as a therapist and a human and a mom, um, 
my pelvic floor stuff was fine. And then it just wasn't. And, um, I ended up finding a new, um, I ended up going back to my original pelvic floor therapist who ended up moving. Um, and between that around that time, um, I ended up starting to have to go to the emergency room. Um, I remember in April, 2021, I had crazy pain all night long, putting my kid to bed. My husband was out. He comes in at like 2 a.m., which is not like him, but he was hanging out with the neighborhood guys. And um, he's very, very um, not capable of caring for me in the moment. Um, and I was like, I had woken up before he even got home just because I was in so much pain. And it went on for a couple hours. And finally, I looked at him and I was like, I'm going to the emergency room. He's like, I can't drive you. Do you need me to call someone? And I was like, no. So I drove. It's only a couple minutes away. And they did every test. They did blood tests. They did a CT. They did an ultrasound. And they're like, uh, we'll just send you home with some pain meds. And I looked at them and I said, I just met my out-of-pocket. Um, if you send me home, I will be back within 12 hours. I promise. Because this is not right. And there's something wrong. And I said, I need you to send in the hospitalist OBGYN right now. And he sat down and he was the first person to listen. Um, and he did not look at his watch. He did not look at his phone. He did not look at the computer. He did not look at my file. He just wanted to hear my experience from my first time having a period on. And I get to the end of it and he listened the entire time. And he said, well, Sarah, I'm really sorry to hear that all sounds like endometriosis. And I am so sorry because it's a hard road. It is a life that can be full of misery and there are treatment options, but I can't do it because that's not my job anymore. Wow. And I was like, oh, like, so this is a, I don't usually trust male providers. So I was like, oh my gosh, I, I like him. Can you please, are you sure? And he's yeah. like, no, I can't. Um, and so I hopped on the internet, you know, I get out at like 8 a.m. I hopped on the internet, started researching, not good research, just the regular Google basics. And I found a doctor in the area who was, had an opening on Monday who said she was Da Vinci robot arm trained and worked with endometriosis. Cool. So I went in, that was two days later. And she was like that her nurse listened and then she kind of listened and then they did some sort of extra ultrasound that she's like, I just did a special training. And they were like, well, we can get you in as soon as we can. It'll probably be three or four weeks. And I was like, cool. And then they called me and they're like, hey, we have a cancellation for this Thursday. And I was like, well, let me shut down my world. <laughs> and um, I ended up taking off work that Wednesday because I needed to do all the insurance stuff and all the hospital stuff that, you know, I didn't have time to do because it was so short notice and she went in and on that surgery day, um, she went in, she told my mom, um, well, we removed something from her left ovary. I do not think it is endometriosis. Oh my God. <laughs> and, oh, it gets better. She left it at that. And I was like, okay, cool. So I come home because it's outpatient. I come home with the pictures and I'm like, well, that doesn't look normal. I don't know what the heck she's talking about, but it doesn't look normal. It looks like the pictures I've seen of endometriosis. And the next day I had, um, I get serotonin syndrome. So I was like mm, pretty suicidal, pretty like physically ill. Um, so I ended up going back in because I am like, there's something wrong. And she goes, Oh no, you know, we looked and, you know, it's just endometriosis and, and you'll get better from the, the anesthesia. We'll see you at this time. And I was like, cool. So I go in, I think it was like two weeks follow-up and she's like, at, at one point she did tell me it wasn't endometriosis because she told my mom. And then she told me again, it is endometriosis. So I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you need to stop telling me all these different things. And she said, well, we're going to put you on this birth control. She put me on a combo birth control, an estrogen progesterone birth control. Oh, God. And I was already in discomfort two weeks out. And that 
helped ish kind of helped and then a couple weeks later I was like very very suicidal and I was like there's something wrong this is not right and emailed them and they said stop it immediately and so then I scheduled an appointment for a follow-up follow-up and um, I said you know like I I'm not I don't trust birth control right now I'm not willing to do that and she goes that's the only thing we can do to manage your symptoms and I was like um but not combo birth control right like that's not okay um, at one point they told me you should just go back on your medicine as prescribed. Um, that was in the portal. And I, I was addressing that in that session. And I said, um, you told me that you reviewed my records and then told me to go back on the same birth control that made me suicidal and put me and my family at risk. And she said, oh, well, you know, I just, you know, and I was like, no, I don't know. Um, and she was, she wrote in my notes that I took her to task and I chastised her for okay. not remembering details of my account of my medical record. And I have had so much anger because that's not, I, I am a metal, metal, medical, mental health provider. You know, I know that we can't remember every detail, but if it's in the last note and it's something important, um, you better believe I'm going to remember that level of intensity. And then she looked at me and she said, well, we can put you on this medicine for fibromyalgia. You don't have it, but it should help. And oh. I said, I'm not really willing to go on another medicine since, you know, last time what happened. And she goes, well, Sarah, there is no allopathic reason for your pain and you're welcome to seek second opinions. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I did, I went to somebody that's like Nancy's nook um, approved and he nodded his head the whole time I talked to him, but then he got to the pathology report and her report. And he said, well, Sarah, this is an endometriosis. What? And I said, but what is it? He goes, well, I'm going to refer you to the specialist in Maryland. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he did like a, a vaginal check because... Um, you know, you can definitely tell if I have endometriosis just by a vaginal check for five seconds, you know? Um, and I go to this doctor and in the meantime, this is when I'm seeing my PT and she's like, yeah, this isn't right. Something's wrong. We need to figure it out. And she's hopeful. And I go to the doctor and oh my are you ready for this one? This one's hard. Oh God. So he is an interstitial. Digital cystite, I can't say it. I see um, specialists because, you know, they think I don't have endo. And he's very aggressive. I, you know, it's still pandemic. And I come in with my mask because that's CDC recommendation. And he goes, no mask, no mask, no mask here. What? And I was like, well, that's not good. That doesn't set me off on the right foot. He's very combative and collecting my information and kind of accusatory. He and my friend was there. We went into like the exam room. His medicine is there. She was nice. Everybody's kind of like not meeting eyes and stuff like that. He is intense. And he goes in and he does the roughest pelvic exam that I've ever had in my life to the point where I was crying and he pushed harder. Um, he pushed okay. harder and more and deeper. And then he just wrapped up and left and said, come on in when you're ready. And the med assistant would not look us in the eyes. She handed me what I needed and left the room. And I come in and I'm in tears. And he goes, what are the tears about? And I said, well, that was the roughest pelvic exam I've ever had. And I really didn't appreciate it. And, you know, usually when somebody says I need a break or that hurts, you're supposed to pause. And he's like, well, and proceeded to ask me, do you really think that your uterus and your ovaries and your bladder and your cervix and your pelvic floor all hurt? And I said, absolutely, I do. And he said, well, that can't happen. Oh, and I said, well, you were there. It does. And he's like, well, you know, I don't think this is I see. And I was like, all right. So what is your recommendation? Who are you sending me to? And he said, well, um, 
you know, I think you really need to lose weight. Are you exercising? And I said, I have a three-year-old that's very active and I have a horse. Um, so yeah, yeah, I am. And he goes, that's not exercise. He exercises sustained increased heart rate for 20 minutes or more. And I said, I have a toddler that I chase around all day and I have horses that I walk to and from and I ride and I, you know, have you ever groomed a horse? And he was like, well, that's not exercise. Do you really think that's exercise? And I shut down and I said, no. He said, well, you really need to do some exercise. I'm pretty sure he said something about losing weight, which is damn near impossible um, for my body because I'm in pain. And so also it doesn't matter if I weigh more or less. It's just a thing. Right. It has nothing to do with what you're even coming in for. Absolutely. He got me to do like a, um, he sent me to get like a vein test, tilt test or something. And they confirmed, they were very nice, but they were like, yeah, you don't have any, I see. You don't really have the symptoms of it. Um, and so I canceled my follow-up with him because I was like, I'm never speaking to him. I did report him and the surgeon, not surgeon, OBGYN who did that surgery because they're in the same, um, like medical network. And I was like, so both of them need some, um, trauma informed care because, uh, both of them treated me like this and I have documented PTSD in my record. Um, and the first doctor was very aware that I had PTSD just from providers in my life and um and that I'm also a rape victim so like all of this is oh my god you know like you guys need to do something oh I'm so sorry we'll make sure that happens and I was like sure you can call me and I ask that you call me when when you have that training and let me know what they got so I can tell you what else they need because as a mental health therapist I know what they you know I know the types of things that need to be happening I've never got a call back Never got a call back. I did speak to um, an attorney at one point to see if, like, they would take my case for, like, not quite medical malpractice, but, like, that one doctor told me I had endo and then told me I didn't and then told me I did and then told me that, you know, I should just restart a medication that was going to make me suicidal. So, like, that's – and she goes, yeah, that's just bad medical practice. There is no – Oh, my God. There's no help. Oh, I, it blows my mind. Like we are so involved in the Indo community and I hear these stories all the time and every single time it breaks my heart. And I just, it like, my blood is boiling. I can't <laughs> understand how this happens and these doctors yeah. can get away with it. Like, yeah. And I mean, before I even got to that doctor, I think I saw like, I got my IUD right after my kid, like eight weeks or whatever. And I was getting cysts again. I was in pain. I was peeing my pants because I had pelvic floor dysfunction. And the doctor's office that I had been going to since I was 15 years old, they told me just do Kegels. Oh. And I did, I ended up, my midwife insisted that I go to pelvic floor physical therapy. And I did have a follow-up for something else with the actual OB or the GYN that I had known since I was 15. And I said, yeah, she told me to do Kegels, the nurse practitioner. And it actually set me back and created a lot more pain. She goes, well, Sarah, I've been a doctor for over 20 years and most people just do Kegels. No, not people with chronic pain. And no, not people who have just had a baby. Most of those people have two tight pelvic floors and Kegels are going to set them back. Absolutely. Um, And so like, even before I got diagnosed or kind of diagnosed. Um, I went from that doctor. I tried another one. One checked her Apple watch no less than three times. So I was telling her my story and my story of not being listened to or respected by providers. Um, I checked another one who told me, Sarah, why are you seeing all these old lady doctors? Grow old with me. We got, I got you. But then at the next appointment, she told me that I, um, needed to lose weight. I'm not, I'm not that big. Um, so I'm not sure what she was talking about. Like she was the same size as me. And so I don't know why she thought she could compare my body to anybody else's body. Um, but she told me I needed to exercise more. And I said, told her I have a toddler and I have horses and that is a lot of movement every single day. And she said, well, Sarah, we all have the same number of hours in the day. Oh. Um, <laughs> 
And so then I saw somebody else that just like completely bypassed everything. And I was like, I'm not even going to try again with you. Um, and then when I got to that one doctor who did do the surgery, I was just like, wow. So like all through it, advocating, saying, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm having a difficult time getting my, my needs met. I am struggling because I do not respond to this or I do not respond to this. And I have a lot of provider trauma. So can I trust you? And the answer is always, yes, yes, I'll take care of it. And then they just are terrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like the prime example of like <laughs> everything you just touched on. You know how to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know your mental health conditions. You went in saying, this is what I need. This is what I have. Mm -hmm. this experience it, experiencing. And yet you were still treated the same. Like, yeah, it doesn't. So it's really heartbreaking because it's like, I am a social worker, right? I, what I love to say is like, don't make me use my bossy social worker voice. I will get things done. Yeah. And so I think that, and talking to, I don't even know which provider. It was one of my providers. I think it was my PT, Macy. And she said, Sarah, I think one of the challenges we're coming up against is if you say nothing, you don't get the care you need. But if you say anything, because you've seen the providers, you've done your research, you know your body and you've done, you've not stopped working on your body for years. Um, because of that, I think people get intimidated. Yeah. And I think they're intimidated by you saying, hey, this isn't actually clinically appropriate. Or like, this is something that I am not okay with, because it's not evidence based. And knowing that has been really hard, because I also can't be passive and not get the care I need. Um, I also was really lucky that like, yeah, I had a lot of pain. I was really uncomfortable. Um, and I was still able to work. I was still able to have my kid. I was still able to do most of what I wanted to do. However, um, over a year later from that, I'm like, oh my God, I was doing nothing in my life and I was really struggling. So the advocacy piece is constant. And I don't think I could have done it without identifying like my mental health therapist, my physical therapist, and my primary care doctor as like, my ride or dies kind of thing. They, they listen to what I want, and they fight for what I need kind of thing. Yeah, that's incredible. That definitely is like, and I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad we're having this conversation because mm -hmm. I feel like touching on so many points that need to be touched on. Like, I'm really thankful that you brought up the mental health side. Uh, yes. Especially with birth control, because that's something mm -hmm. that I personally have mm -hmm. experienced. Birth control makes me suicidal. Yep. I have a tendency to have suicidal ideation anyway. Mm -hmm. And told doctors this, and they have flat out said, well, then what do you want me to do? <laughs> and it's like, You're the doctor. <laughs> right. I'm supposed to figure that out? Yeah. And... and and trying to find mental health medication um, that's going to work because they've thrown everything at me and I can take this, but not this. And this does this. And my doctor or my nurse practitioner has always been like, well, I don't know. What do you want? And I'm like, I want someone to have an answer. Yeah. And so, like, if we look back to where I stopped that part of the story, because there's so much more still. Um you know, I stopped last summer. I saw that doctor. I was very downtrodden. You know, my medications are constantly changing. Every time I go into a doctor, I have to change my list because it's never the same. It never fully worked. It always was hard. And then you add pain. And then you add all the time I'm spending in doctor's appointments or, you know, and the financial burden of it all. It is ridiculous. And so I don't even like that endo episode that started in March of 2021. It actually started right around the time I got my LCSW and I had two weeks of complete food aversion uh -huh. um, that I never linked. And to the point where like intuitive eating saved my life because I had to be okay with whatever my body could tolerate. Um, and then I had the big pain and then I had surgery in April. I was doing doctors that summer, but like, I went to the ER again in June that year. It was bad for the same thing. And there were no answers. And I was like, I thought this was done. And then everything got quiet. 
and it got okay. And I continued my PT and I could never get past a certain point in my recovery for my pelvic floor. Um, and so we were just trying our best. And this past March, I woke up one day and said, "Uh Oh, the food aversion's back. And it's, so it's weird that it was exactly a year and intuitive eating really dug into some of those and finding, um, the safe food for me. So for me, it was intuitive. I mean, it was, um, food aversion, but it was, it was also a lot of nausea and, um, bloating and lots of weird bowel issues. And, um, which, this is really out of order. And I apologize, Mariah. Did you know, I, I don't know that I've ever mentioned to you. When I was 15 years old, I started getting left sided cramps um, and really bad problems with going to the bathroom. And they did an ultrasound said, Oh, you're really constipated. We're going to put you on birth control and Miralax. Oh, my God. And they never again listened to my left side pain. And that was at 15. 15. I was at 15. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, well, I know I'm having another food episode. I've got left side pain. I'm having problems with my bowels. PT isn't helping. I'm going, I'm there once a week, sometimes twice a week for like an emergency session. Um, It hurts to move. Like it was just bad. And so then after about two weeks of that, I woke up one day, I was in PT trying to get like the stomach issues to go away. And um, we had taken a break from my pelvic floor. And I I woke up, I saw her on a Tuesday, and I woke up on Wednesday morning, laying on my stomach, holding my pelvis. And I said, it's back. It's, it's back. And so I went back, I made an emergency appointment at PT. And she was like, I don't know what happened. This wasn't here yesterday. This is bad. Oh my God. And my PT was out of the country. So this was like my, my other PT, my backup PT that I love and trust. And, um, so in that, you know, my, my PT had been having me fill out the paperwork for Dr. Cenervo, um, and telling that narrative and holy shit, the narrative writing that two to three pages narrative of why you want this surgery is. Oh my God. Intense. So many tears. Oh, heartbreaking. Yeah, I know. That's what I connected. Like the 15 year old me was complaining about this. You know, I've talked to countless gynecologists that if I ever used a tampon, the left side is the only side that ever got soaked. And I was told that's not possible. That's not how bleeding happens. Oh my God. That's the same thing for me. I literally never even correlated that until you just said that. Yeah. And doctors say that's not possible. It fills the whole tampon. I said, do you want to try? Do you yeah. want, do you want me to take a picture? And they're like, well, I, you're just mu- must be putting it in weird. Yeah. That's what I was always told to. Oh, I was like, no, I'm not <laughs> like, you know, I read the American girl caring, keeping of you. And they had that really awkward page about tampons. I know how to put a tampon in. Um, that was just a, a, a blurb out to that amazing book. If you read it back in the nineties. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it was frustrating to write that paperwork and I had it and I was holding it because things were weird. Things were questionable around the time I was having food aversion. I had like this, um, ridiculous pain. Um, and I couldn't figure out what it was and it was like, it felt like gallbladder pain and it didn't, it didn't track as gallbladder paint. They have, it, nobody could figure out what it was. And, um, and, and so it was kind of like, well, we don't know what this is. And so I, that's why I hadn't sent anything to Cenervo because we don't know what this is. And I sent it off the day I woke up with the pain <laughs> And I said, by the way, there's a lot more, but I can't, I don't know what's what. So I waited for the review process. He called me on the, he said up to four weeks and he called me on the last day of that four week period. Um, and I picked up the phone and he said, Sarah, this is Dr. Cenervo. Um, I hear you've been medically gaslit. Oh, <laughs> and I almost cried. Legit. Yeah. God, you know, I, 
for him. He is amazing, astounding. Um, you know, I told him, you know, I have a new symptom. I had sex and I, I heaved for 10 minutes. Like I thought I was going to throw up. I was in crazy amounts of pain. And he goes, I too have that effect on women. Like just (laughs) making me laugh because like, if you don't laugh, it's, you're going to cry like and crawl into a hole. And so it wasn't like an inappropriate statement. It was like a, like, I hear you. This is weird. Like, let's try to figure this out kind of moment. And like, I don't know. It was amazing. And they were able to, that was in May or June, May. And then in June, they called me and said, this is how much and blah, da, 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 and all those pieces. And then they said, we have an appointment on July 19th. And I was like, that's in two and a half weeks. And they're like, yeah, can you do it? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> with no <laughs> idea how to do it. Um, the way we did it is I sold a lot of like cricket design dish towels and made a lot of money doing that. Um, that kept me distracted from the fact that I was about to have major surgery and I was still hurting. Um, and I couldn't like even take a walk down my street anymore. When you posted that video yesterday, I was like, oh, I remember that. Um, and so doing a lot of preparation, we, um, we were lucky enough to be able to, we had like money that we could move around and we refinanced our house and just got really, really lucky. And that helped pay for like pay down medical debt. It paid for lots of different things. And so we felt really lucky and we have good out of network benefits and we had already met all of our in network benefits. So, you know, it wasn't going to be terrible, but it's, you know, anytime you do something this big, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot to take in, especially <laughs> short time period, two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. I was like, I don't know anybody who can get that amount of money together in two and a half weeks. Like that's bizarre. Yeah. Um, And by the way, a hotel and all your like, Expensive. like recovery stuff. Yeah. Like everything else. Um, it, it was a big and drive down there, you know, because we didn't want to fly. Right. Because that's a whole other, I didn't want to be pushed through an airport. No. I didn't want to go on an airplane. I wanted to be in my really cozy car with a nice heating pad. Um, so by the time we actually drove down, I, um, had lost a lot of movement in my right leg. Um, I had pain in my ankle, pain in my knee, and then like the nerves wrapped around in like a helix around my leg. Um, did you know that a surgery and a medical team can be like super non-traumatic and even healing? Because I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't either until Dr. Sinervo. Oh my gosh. Um, he did a pelvic, ex- like he did my history again. He did a pelvic exam pre-op. And when I told them about like, oh, this was better than that one pelvic exam. And I I said, like, yeah, he told me, did you know that, or do you really think this and this and this and this and hurt? And his nurse practitioner looked at me and said, who said that? I was like, oh, a specialist. And she was like, what? And he goes, Dr. Stenerva looks at me and he goes, but I just did your exam and you do hurt in all of those places. And I was like, yeah. So I think part of the advocacy is almost without being accusatory or blaming sharing and making sure that other providers know what you're hearing. Yes, totally agree with that. Because they don't understand the intensity yeah, of yeah. what's happening. Yes, I fully agree with that. My gynecolo- my local gynecologist, mm-hmm. I brought in my surgical pictures from Dr. Sinervo. Uh-huh. Uh, the first time I told her I had endometriosis, she just kind of nodded her head, dismissed it, didn't really think much of it. The next time I saw her, I brought in my surgical pictures. It was like a <laughs> world of difference. Oh my God. It was mm-hmm. so bad. And I'm like, yeah, but it really, I wasn't. told you like, I'm just one in 10, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. And so the other thing, like in preparation for surgery, I like met with my primary care doctor again, she's on my like ride or die team. Um, and I met with her and I said, Julie, look, I got to just like tell you all of it and everybody that I've seen and all of the results, because I can't be the only one keeping track of it right now. Um, And so looping in a doctor that you trust to be like a case manager 
that's what they're there for, especially primary care, if you can find a good one. Um, so anytime something happens, I email her, I send it, or I'll schedule an appointment and I make sure she knows. Um, and that way she knows everything that's happening. Um, so that's another piece of like the advocacy work. Um, if anybody does end up going, and I encourage you to go see Center for Endometriosis Care, um, I went in for that surgery. I was in the waiting area for less than five minutes. And the only time I was left alone until my husband left the hospital that night was for the like two to five minutes that they let me change and get under a warm blanket and sign two pieces of paper. And I was not left alone um, at all. Um, I actually had Wendy, his nurse practitioner, hold my hand down the hall and I came into the operating suite, which was not overly bright. It was not overly cold and it was not overly noisy. And they transferred me to the table and Dr. Sanervo held my other hand and then they just had me breathe and didn't even count me down for anesthesia because why not? Right? Just yeah. make it non-traumatic. Exactly. They're um, so good at it. <laughs> they are. And so what, what came of that is um, I ended up having, yes, having endometriosis on that left ovary. Yes. And I had three or four spots within my pelvic cavity, none of them super significant or severe, but I also had adhesions on my left tube and left ovary um, that were adhering to like my pelvic wall. Um, I had an adhesion starting um, behind my uterus, but it was also an adhesion with um, some fibroidic tissue, so mesophilic fibroidic tissue, um, and that was over that nerve that was killing my my right leg. Um, I also had more fibroidic tissue near my uterus. Um, I had two different types of cysts on my ovaries and my um, tubes. Um, my appendix was scarred up and in the incorrect spot. Um, and then I also had adenomyosis. Mm. So at my follow-up with Dr. Sinervo, I said, no one was going to catch any of that, were they? And he said, nope. And so it felt crazy pushing and pushing to get to Dr. Sinervo and doubted myself every step. Of the way. At least it really that bad. And my husband's like, you can no longer take walks. You can, no you can no longer ride your horse because your leg won't work. Um, yeah, it is that bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that just goes to show you how much, like, the medical gaslighting, like, yes. really affect and, like, buries itself into your subconscious. Yes. You, you can't function. And you're like, is it really? Is it really that bad? Yes. And even afterwards I'm like well did I really need that yes I needed that surgery I ended up having a full hysterectomy both tubes removed my left ovary and that appendix that was you know he said if you would have gotten appendicitis it would have been a an emergency abdominal surgery and I was like great cool like whatever um and so on the tail end of that I recovery has been easy fine I am on estradiol for patch um, because I think I'm in menopause and I'm actually going to message my doctor today to see um, my endocrinologist who's also on my team um, who wouldn't even prescribe estrogen until she had Dr. Sanervo prescribe it. She's like, I'm not going to touch estrogen for you until he does. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. She's like, I'm not messing with it. No, he, he knows I'll do whatever he, he says is okay. Um, but I, I, you know, so it's constantly tweaking and finding the right things um, and continuing to stay in contact with those providers. Um, I haven't, I, I go to PT next week and I get my cuff check next week. Um, I'm very excited. And I think just keeping the conversation alive because you know, I told my providers, did you know that you can go through surgery and it doesn't have to be traumatic? And they're like, that's the way it should be, Sarah. <sighs> yeah, it's just, but it's, that's not the norm. <laughs> and so I'm just like, I know that, but you know that I've never had that. Right. Um, something that I've really wanted to do is just write a letter to the providers and say like, no, it wasn't, there was an allopathic reason. And like, yeah. it did hurt all of these places. And, and so part of me really wants to do that and write that and share that. And you know what? I don't think they deserve to hear it either. 
I totally get both sides of that. Absolutely. Like they need to know, but they're not going to care. And I also don't want them to ever look at my medical record again. So, you know. Yeah. I I, I am just kind of like, no, but my providers who care know. And so staying in touch with them and staying on top of like what I'm allowed to do. Dr. Sonerbo laughed and he said, you horse girls, you always want to know when you get back, can get back on your horse. That's the first question you always ask. And I said, mm-hmm. um, not till October 11th. Um, I'm waiting patiently because I, I am a compliant patient. I try, I listen, I want it to work. Right. And until you find the right people, it's, it's exhausting. It is, it is. Oh, mm-hmm. I have one question for you. Yes. So did you have your hysterectomy with Dr. Sonervo? Oh, yes. I would not let anyone else touch my body so ever I, again. I totally ever again. I fully agree. Like whenever I have my hysterectomy, that's 100% who I'm going back to. So, so did it's you- funny because they do things like they do the plasma on yeah. your... <laughs> And I talked to, actually, I talked to my veterinarian and she's like, yeah, we do that for horses all the time. And I was like, excuse me, horses get better medical care. And she's like, absolutely. Horses get better medical care than people. Um, But not when you see Dr. Sonervo. So. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, So did you, you went into that surgery having like deciding already you were going to have a hysterectomy? So he had mentioned it and I had had to come to terms with it and said, if it's, if it, if there's any suspicion, I want to have it. Um, It sucks because like, I don't know, your body feels weird about it. Like, I don't, I don't think it's something your body can understand. Um, We were not in a place that we were going to have other kids. And I think part of that is like, I was constantly in pain and needing to meet with providers and my mental health wasn't good. And so I'm like, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand that. Um, not having more. Um, it sucks, but I understand it. And um, I told doctor, he wasn't going to do it initially. And I said, oh no, if anything in there looks at you funny, I want you to take it out. And so that's where my appendix and my <laughs> uterus both came out because <laughs> they looked at him funny. Right. Okay, that's awesome. So I want to make a point with that too, because I went into my surgery with Dr. Cernervo asking him to please preserve my fertility. My fertility was like so important. Yes. I wanted to be able to have a chance to have a child if I could. And mm-hmm. that is why um, he did what he did. Like my fertility, I think has been like such a desire of mine. Instead, he did an... Um, ovarian bridge mm-hmm. yeah um and for the agno he performed a presacral neurectomy yeah if i would have gone in and been like i'm ready for a hysterectomy he would have gone ahead and done that so i do want to like anyone listening so nervo mm-hmm. highly takes into consideration your desired outcome yes and you know i i left him the choice i said you know like if it's fine but if there's any part that's not fine, you are the expert. Right, right. I think that's awesome. That's that's amusing. I definitely yeah. not in the headspace to be able to do that, but I applaud you for that. And it just goes to show, like, I just want to remind everyone listening, we know our bodies best. Like, we really do. Yes. And I that this journey can, like, rip that from you. It can make you question that so much. But at the end of the day we know what our realities are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will tell you, I am almost eight weeks on the other side of it. And my reality is completely different. Um, I am off all mental health medications um, for the first time in, I don't even know how long. Wow. 15, 15 years. Um, I, I, I take Ritalin because that's different. Um, I, what else do I do? I, I go on walks like for fun um, or when I'm stressed to actually go on a walk because that is a stress reliever, not like a pain creator. Um, I don't know. Like it's, my husband said, um, it feels like we're in a brand new relationship oh. because like 
we are, hold on, I'm about to start my car. Um, so he said, it sounds like, or it feels like we're in a brand new relationship because everything is new and fresh and you can, you can do the things that we used to love doing and that like we always wanted to do. So we do more hiking. We do, um, more just walks as a family and playing outside and, and doing things that, and we're not getting worn down or just hurting myself. That's incredible Um, for you. Yeah. And so like, I am a social worker, I am going to advocate and, and I, I haven't had the space to do like big level advocacy, um, because it's just, I, I, I don't have it. It's still so fragile. You better believe it that when I'm in a session with a client, having these random issues because so often, you know, people years and it really affects them, but it seems that around, you know, Uh-oh, I think I lost you. Being really mindful that, like, Indo is not everyone's experience, but, like, knowing how bad the systems are and helping people to say, when you're ready, let me give you, you know, let me give you this podcast. Let me give you this um, page that has all accurate information and research. Let me um, help you find ways to talk to your providers about, like, hey, this is what my concern is. And then also, let me share these really cool Instagram pages with you that have been really helpful. And maybe you can see if like you resonate with those stories or you don't. And so like, I know that's part of just being a therapist too, of providing resources, providing alternative solutions. But I really feel like it is something that I'm just so much more aware of. Um, and that I am like slowly starting to step it up and just be like, okay, like, I'm not going to just say, Hmm, I wonder if that's endo. I'm going to say when you're ready, let's talk about it. Um, and be a resource within my, within my clinical views or view, like purview. Um, and also like when people like on Reddit (laughs) and when people say things like in the hysterectomy page and be like, so I'd like you to research this because a hysterectomy is not the treatment for endometriosis. Um, that has been really helpful to do like that one-on-one types of things. Even if Reddit people are just like, whatever. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I do think it's empowering and it's healing. It's uh, being able to do something like good with the trauma and the hardships that you've mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's incredible. And I love that you mentioned, um, you know, even just like mentioning, commenting on Reddit and being like, Mm -hmm. whenever you're ready to talk about this, like I have some really factual information I could share with you. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. I think that's awesome. And I love that you included that in there. Yeah. And so I think there is a piece of, you know, I... In my private practice, I, I'm not doing it right now because, you know, like I was just m- running on like the bare minimums for a while. Um, but in my in my practice, you know, there is a piece where I am gearing up to meet with providers to talk about my services and talk about because like, dude, like postpartum depression and anxiety and OCD or postpartum psychosis, they're all very documented things. And you wouldn't believe the number of providers that are just like, oh, here's some Zoloft or like, well, it'll get better. And I'm like, no, it's not the same as somebody that's having some issues with a little bit of OCD, or it's not the same as somebody who's dealing with generalized anxiety disorder. Like this is, it needs to be talked about and dealt with appropriately. And so in those spaces of networking and talking about like my, my professional specialty of all of like, and I want to talk about like, this is a time in the clients that I'm working with, this is a time that new hormonal things happen. And what education are you doing on that with those clients? And how are you helping them get connected with the resources? Because they're not. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so beneficial. Absolutely. It's such a postpartum is such a, like, you know, you go through so many appointments while you're pregnant and then you mm-hmm. have a baby. Oh, bye. And- Good luck. Bye. <laughs> yep. I, I hear that all the time. Um, or they're just like, yeah, it's fine. Just use some Kegels. Like literally I've been there and it is not okay because why do we stop listening to moms? Why do we stop listening to people's bodies um, and start just normalizing the things that aren't right? Um, And it's, I think the answer comes in, like we don't have enough education and we don't have um, sometimes ego is in the way, like, Oh, I can deal with this. And it's like, no, why, why do you need to do you need with this so I think where where I am on my advocacy journey with it and I'm I'm still I want to get I you know I want to ride my horse before I really sink my teeth into advocacy because I want to say like that's my measure of I am better (laughs) um but like as I move move into this next phase of healing um having the those grassroots conversations with people um and it might involve sharing my story in certain certain ways, not necessarily one-on-one with providers, but like sharing my story um, in like a networking group or um, a consultation group and things like that so that people are like aware because like in the mental health field, like we should know better. We don't know better, but like people don't know that this is so affects so many different aspects. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that they can present so different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think. And so when I said to Dr. Sinerva, nobody was going to catch this. He's like, no, because he was the first person in my life ever to even throw out the idea of adenomyosis. Like, uh-huh. because I didn't bleed. I, I had lack of bleeding and everybody was like, yeah, that happens sometimes. And I was like, you don't understand the level of no bleeding that I have, and I have all this pain. What's where's the disconnect? And they're like, "Oh, it's fine. You're just a light bleeder." And I, when I talked to him, he was like, "No, you don't have to have heavy bleeding to have adenomyosis. Some people just don't bleed, and that is a symptom." And it's just you know, listening to well, it doesn't have to look like this. It doesn't have to look like that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a huge part that is missed in the medical system is simply listening to the patient, taking Mm -hmm. their lived experience as, you know, really what you should base, what is going on. Like you should start from there, not the blood work, not from the ultrasound that all come back clear, you know, or, you know, you get an ultrasound. I'm not never talking from personal experience about this. Um, Yes, I absolutely am. Um, You know, they do an ultrasound to check for pelvic health and pelvic issues. And they didn't even find my ovaries. Oh, my God. Like, and they thought that was fine. And I was like, no, no, that was literally what you were looking for. You need to do it again. But I'm so exhausted at that point that I'm just like, whatever. Right, right. Yeah, you get worn down. Absolutely. Especially when you're going through the physical aspect of it too like you mm-hmm. know, thing being pushed up against your abdomen mm-hmm. yeah. yeah oh my gosh well I'm excited to see what this podcast does thank you I am so so incredibly thankful that you came on and you were so vulnerable and honest thank you for sharing your story I am so sorry mm-hmm. for everything you. you had to go through it's thank not you. And I truly hope that by doing this podcast and, you know, running our community on Instagram, that all of us together, all of our voices, like we're going to make a loud enough noise that we're going to be heard. Something is going to be done. Yeah. I wonder, maybe I should share my podcast episode and just shoot it over to those providers. Be like, hey, you want to take a listen? Yeah. <laughs> God, that they would be won't. They won't. But, you know. I, the, the only thing I can do is continue to share and, and explain why this is important. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Amazing. Do you want to, um, this is totally up to you. If you would like to share your Instagram handle with our community so that people could find you, you can. So I'm private, but I'm thinking about making a different one. Um, that's not private. Okay. How about so that? I will I'll, I'll hook up with you for that. 
Exactly. And then if you decide to do that before your episode airs, I will be sure to include that in the show notes. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Mariah. Thank you, Sarah. This was amazing. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Best Worst Club podcast. If you could do us the biggest favor and help us reach more Indo Warriors, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening. And take a selfie of you listening or a screenshot and share it on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next week, Indo Warrior.